Our scripture reading this morning is Proverbs 2, 1 to 15. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This is God's word. Thank you, Kim. Appreciate that. Well, we have uh, been in a series and are in a series on the graces of reconciliation. And, um, you know, Jim introduced it to us a few weeks ago with the grace package. And then a couple weeks ago, Ken talked to us about the grace of confession. And then last week, Jake did a great job of talking us through the grace of forgiveness. And today I want us to talk a little bit about the grace of teachability. Um, you know, when we confess, we, we free ourselves from that exhausting quest to justify what really might be unjustifiable. And we forgive, we free ourselves from that desire for justice that in all reality we may never get in this earthly life, but may ruin much of our life seeking it and insisting on it. Now, unlike confession and forgiveness, um, teachability is not so much a biblical word. It kind of falls into the category of Trinity. You know, Trinity is not in and of itself a biblical word. You won't find that word in the Bible, but yet the Bible clearly teaches it. The principles are there. The understanding is there. The same is true uh, with this idea of being teachable. Now, we want to have a little bit of a working definition of teachability this morning. And uh, so here's what we're going to work with. When we're teachable, what we're doing is we are committing to learn from God by every means possible in order to best live for his pleasure. We're committing to God to learn by whatever means possible, any way that God would choose to teach us in order to best live for his pleasure, because ultimately that's what it's about. Let's pray and let's talk about this. Father, thank you for the fact that you have clearly given us instruction, for the fact that you have clearly uh, given us a sense of your desire and how to live for your pleasure. Father, help us to discern, help us to learn, help us to be teachable and to understand. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if we're uh, committed to these this idea of being teachable of the Holy Spirit, of God's word instructing us and teaching us. If we're committed to that, we might find 
that we have a little less to confess and that it's a little easier to confess when we need to. And we might find when we look at ourselves and allow God to work in us and put a mirror in front of us to look at ourselves, we might find that forgiveness flows a little easier when we realize that whatever good we do is not of our own doing ultimately, but is through the Lord. So as we unpack this grace of teachability, now I'm not normally a, a topical kind of guy when it comes to, to preaching and teaching, um, but I am going to bounce around a little bit today. And, and this series needs is, that we're doing is, is somewhat on a topic of a topical nature. And so this is going to look at some different things. And we can barely scratch the surface of any of these, any of these graces, barely scratch the surface of confession, barely scratch the surface of forgiveness. And we'll barely scratch the surface of this whole idea of teachability. But what I'd like to do, what I'd really like to do is just ramble for about an hour on this topic. That's what I'd really like to do, to just kind of ramble from my own failings in this. And, um, and that's not, I don't say that in, in any kind of, uh, you know, just sort of purposeful self-deprecation to uh, be gratuitous and, and use it as a homiletic technique. But I imagine most of you could do the same. You could probably talk for an hour about failings in this area as much as I can because it's something that is hard for us. Uh, you know, over the last few years though, probably more than at any point in my life, and, and by the way, I was, this wasn't originally my assignment. Uh, this wasn't originally the time, I think Jake, you had this one, right? And he'd already gotten halfway through the sermon, so he sold it to me, you know, but uh, not really. But um, you know, we kind of moved the assignments around after we kind of had planned this, and, and, I, and teachability landed on the Sunday that I was gonna be able to, to be here and, and preach and all, and, and, um, and I was glad it did. Because I can honestly say it is an area where God has been working in my life over the last two years, but especially over the last year, challenging some of my presuppositions about things, challenging some of my ideas. And I'm not talking about core doctrines. I'm not talking about the fundamentals of our beliefs. I'm talking really just kind of about those bents that we pick up along the way in life. Those assumptions and presuppositions that we make along the way that really fundamentally don't have a biblical basis, but they're just things that we kind of pick up and then we begin to act on and then we really kind of begin to treat them as though they were thus saith the Lord's. But rather than me rambling for an hour or so, we'll, we'll look at some principles. Now, we're going to begin in Proverbs 2, where Kim read, and we're just going to really focus on the first five verses. The whole section is so important to this, but just for time's sake, we're going to focus kind of in those first five verses. And the first thing I want you to notice, and by the way, I would encourage you to, whether you do it on your device, whether you do it in your Bible, whether you grab one of those Bibles out of the pew, because, um, and it's on page 528, by the way, if you want to grab one of those pew Bibles, because we're going to look at some real specific words and how those words fall into phrases. And uh, it would be helpful to kind of see it with your eyes as well as to hear it with your, uh, with your ears. But he starts out by saying, my son, and I don't want you to be thrown by those words. I don't want you to get the sense, okay, well, I'm older I'm down the road a little bit. Uh, this doesn't apply to me. This is for the young. This is for the youthful. Well, today is my birthday. And it is a momentous birthday. Let me tell you why it's a momentous birthday. It is a momentous birthday because today, 
I officially surpass the average age of this congregation. <laughs> I had Jackie run the numbers, and the average age of this congregation is 62, and today I turned 63. So I'm now officially older than average, and that feels weird. That's a very strange, that's a very strange thing. First of all, I can't be wise beyond my years anymore because I'm older than average. In some churches, I would have been older than average a long time ago. In some churches, I've got a long way to go to be older than average. But we being a multi-generation church and being older than average in that just feels kind of strange. Now, I really shouldn't be surprised that I'm older than average. The signs have been there. You know, when you turn on the oldies station and the music your kids listen to is playing, you know, that's a sign. And uh, when your kids want to borrow your clothes that you're wearing now for a retro party that they're going to, okay, that's, that's kind of a sign. And I have reached that point where I can officially injure myself in my sleep. And some of you are there, you know, you're limping down the hall and somebody says, hey man, what'd you do? I'm like, I don't know, went to bed last night, felt fine, woke up this morning, injured. You know, it's just, we get that, we get to that point. But in all seriousness, do understand, being teachable is a lifelong endeavor. I appreciate people who I know, who I spend time with. And, and, and you know, Mickey Bowden's one of those guys. Charlie Martin down here on the front row. Kent Gies, I, I like to go have breakfast with old guys. You know, just, just kidding, just kidding. But to spend time with these guys, you know what I like about them? I like it that they are lifelong learners. And they're not just lifelong learners about stuff. They want to talk about important things. They continue to discuss those things. And they begin, they continue to let themselves be challenged in their thinking on things. And those are healthy and helpful things. Because lifelong learning, being someone who's teachable for our whole life, is something that's going to reward us when we apply it. And it's going to have a cost when we deny it. We need to be, whether we're 17 or 70, we need to understand that that is something that we are, are looking at. Now, we're, we're kind of zeroing in. This series is, is on reconciliation, primarily in relationships. And it is about, so we're applying this idea of being teachable in this whole arena of relationships. And the second principle is that, that um, being teachable is a proactive thing. You know, a teacher can teach us but they can't make us teachable. They can't make us someone who will take and apply. And we'll talk in a minute a little bit more on this idea of the difference between learning and being teachable. Aging, being taught, gaining experiences in life. Those things don't equate to being teachable. Look back at Proverbs 2. Look at the words that are there. They're very intentional words. They're very proactive words. They are not words of passivity, that we treasure up my commands, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, calling out for insight, raising your voice for understanding. Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasures. Those are active words. Those are not words that imply that we just kind of sit and it happens. Those are words that imply that we take it seriously. There's not passivity. It's not just hopeful thinking here. Remember what we're talking about. We're calling it teachability and we're committing to learn from God by every means possible in order to best live for his pleasure. 
So we're wanting God to teach us, and we need to make ourselves in the context of that a teachable person who is making our ear attentive, who's inclining our hearts, who's calling out for insight, who's raising your voice, who's seeking, who's searching. That is not a passive activity. That is something that we are doing very much by intention. Now, the third principle is that teachability isn't merely about acquiring knowledge. You know, a lot of times we can learn a lot. I know people who know a lot, but are very unteachable, who can, can write books and they're very unteachable. And so there's not being teachable and being knowledgeable are not at all the same. Again, look back at Proverbs chapter two. What's he saying? He's treasure up what? My commands. Making your inner ear attentive to what? To wisdom. Inclining your heart to what? To understanding. Calling out for what? For insight. Raising your voice for what? For understanding. There's not much in there just about natural intelligence and general knowledge, but there's much about a knowledge of God. And not just a knowledge of God in a factual sense, but a knowledge of God and what we do with it and what we desire for that knowledge of God to do in and through us. And the ways that we would want him to change us for the believer, that's what being teachable is really all about. In Jeremiah chapter 9, he said, in verse 23, says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And when we begin to be that person who knows and understands the Lord beyond a base knowledge, beyond being able to quote the theology, beyond being able to to memorize the verses, to, to be able to write out the outlines, but in a way that it's bringing us to know God and know who God desires us to be so that by every means possible, we live to, to best live for his pleasure. We're acquiring what God's word has to tell us about God, his nature, what he desires from us. And then that knowledge that God's word gives us, enlightened and empowered and giving the Holy Spirit freedom to take that knowledge and make it understanding, to take that knowledge and produce wisdom in us through that knowledge, transforming us to be more like Christ. Now, all that considered, let's look at another piece of the definition. To best live for his pleasure. So the fourth principle is the ultimate goal of our teachability is his pleasure. Now, when I thought about this, I thought, again, remember we're talking about relationships. We're limiting our discussion to that. We could go a hundred directions with this. But in this understanding of these relationships, the ultimate goal of our teachability being his pleasure What brings God pleasure in our relationships one to another? So my brain just kind of started thinking of all these different directions, all these different things to go. 
So I just kind of stopped. Sometimes when I study, I study on a stool. One of those doctor's office stools. You know the little round ones, you know, that you can roll around on? Because I tend to jump up a lot. And, and, I, and I injure myself if I do it from a chair. But I can jump up off of that stool. But I, I'll start and I'll just, I'll just kind of jump up and just even start pacing the room and, and, and thinking through something. But I sort of did the opposite on this. I just stopped. And I said, God... Give me a few things, not exhaustive, just a few things that you want me to apply and that maybe you want me to share in terms of how we relate one to another. What do you want to teach me? Lord, help me be teachable to things you want to tell me about my relationship with other people. In Romans 12, 18, we've been talking about that one some. That if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Lord, what do you want to teach me about that? Lord, that's a fact. I can quote the verse. But God, what do you want to do with that to move from knowledge to understanding, to wisdom, to something that, I, that will be applicable in my life to bring you pleasure as I relate, not just to brothers and sisters in Christ, but to all people. Live at peace, live peaceably with who? With all. I thought about Proverbs 15.1, that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I was like, God, it's so easy to be harsh. It's so easy to be harsh with people that you disagree with. It's so easy to, to want to win the battle at any cost. I thought about 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior Best live for his pleasure. Make a bridge there. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I thought about James 5. One of the hardest things in the world to do. We only think of this in the context of, of healing or praying for the sick. But it's something we should practice always. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. In 1 Peter 2.15, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, not by winning the argument. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And I'm not saying we never argue. I'm not saying we never present the case. That's not the point. The point is that we want to be teachable to the Lord, to best live for his pleasure. And that's a tiny sampling of things. There's another piece of the definition by every means possible. I didn't really like this one very much, so let's just skip it. Um, just kidding, just kidding. By every means possible. Now we've established already what's, what's primary. What's primary is God's word. That is the primary thing. That's, that's the main thing. That's, the where we're, that's what we learn. That's what we then apply. That's what we then allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. 
But sometimes it's, it's that kind of free working of the Holy Spirit. There are subjective things in the Christian life. Now, they will never contradict the Word of God. If you ever sense the Holy Spirit saying something to you that is contrary to what the Word of God teaches, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is too much pepperoni pizza at midnight. Okay, that's what that is. That is never going to happen. The Spirit of God is never going to contradict His written Word. But there are times when there is some subjectivity to our walk, and that scares us to death. But there's times when there's subjectivity as to, God, how do you want me to interact with this person? Again, keeping it in that relational context, God, how do you want me to interact with this situation? That free working of the Holy Spirit that also will never contradict God's written word. God's not limited in the teaching tools at his disposal. He taught Balaam a lesson on obedience through the mouth of a donkey. Taught Abraham a lesson on honesty and morality through the mouth of a pagan king. Could God use a wife to teach a husband that she's supposed to be in submission to? He has a mind. Could God use the child to teach the father or the mother that they're to be obedient to? I've learned a lot from my kids in this whole area of being teachable. Is it ever possible that God might teach us even through someone that we would see as the most unlikely teacher? Could the master be taught by the slave or the king be taught by the peasant? Or could the pastor even be taught by the parishioner? That happens every day. Could someone we vehemently disagree with just maybe teach us something we need to learn? Is that even possible? I believe it is. So what does it mean to live in a teachable community? What does it mean to live among and within a community where teachability, confession's a part of that community, Freely forgiving is a part of that community, and teachability is a part of that community. What does that look like? As I said, you know, God's been doing some things in my life that have been hard. He's been challenging some things in me. Again, I am, I am not in any way, shape, or form talking about fundamental beliefs. I am not talking about core doctrines. I am not talking about issues of biblical proportion. But I have realized that there are some things that I probably need to think about. You know, sometimes when we think of teachability or being teachable or somebody else being teachable, there's that underlying implication that to be teachable means you change your mind. That for, if God wants us to be teachable in something, he wants to change our mind. You know, sometimes I'm finding, we say about even somebody, we say, you know, that person's just not teachable or Somebody says of us, well, you're not teachable. Teachability is not always about changing your mind or changing your position. Sometimes it's about changing our heart. It's about changing the way we think, about changing the way we view some person and somebody. You know, I don't know any way to, to fully appreciate and appropriate Philippians 2, to you know, consider the other more important ourselves and to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others without being teachable, 
or where that person's coming from and trying to at least understand, not so much to agree with them, not so much to change our mind in something, but just to understand. So a teachable community, what does it look like? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, in a teachable community, iron can sharpen iron without ending a friendship. You know, we talk about a lot of times, we talk about confrontation, we talk about sharing with someone. We're going to talk about this, I think, in a week or so. We talk about the fact, you know, have you talked to that person? Have you told them how you feel? And isn't it true that a lot of times we just have a fear that if I do that, cost is going to be really high? If I do that, our friendship may never be the same again. If, if, I, if I actually practice this idea of iron sharpening iron, that a friendship could end. In a truly teachable community, that is not a fear. That is not something we retract away from being willing to do that because it could end the friendship. In a truly teachable community, iron sharpening iron does not end friendships. Secondly, in a teachable community, the wounds of a friend are considered an act of faithfulness not betrayal. A lot of times we see the words of the wounds of a friend as a betrayal, as something that is against us, rather than seeing them as the faithful practice. We've got to remember that hurting someone and wronging someone are just not the same. There are times to hurt There are times when we have to inflict pain, not for the sake of inflicting pain, not as punishment. But let me tell you, some of you sitting in this room right now, you have hurt me. You have. And I want to thank you for it. Because some of you have walked in and you have sat down and you have wounded me for my good. You have sat down and you have told me something that I needed to hear and I wasn't willing to tell myself but you were faithful. You were faithful in our relationship. You were faithful to be part of fostering a community. And yes, you hurt me, but you did not wrong me in that. And it did hurt, but it wasn't wronging. Let's get rid of the notion that to hurt someone is to wrong someone. There are times we hurt if we love. And there are times that the wounds of a friend need to be administered out of love and faithfulness, not as betrayal. Third characteristic of a teachable community is this, that disagreement isn't equated to personal rejection. One of the things I've noticed is that if you disagree with somebody, they're like, well, they don't like me or uh, they've rejected me in some way. You know, disagreement's not rejection. Disagreement is not agreeing. It's to not agree about something. It's to have a difference of opinion about something. It's to have a different of understanding about something, whether it's theological or whether it's practical in the terms of how we live out our everyday life. There are times when we are going living in community, we're going to differ. And those differences should never be a threat to unity. Not when we're not, again, 
keep the context here. We're not talking about core theology. We're not talking about the, the absolute biblical absolutes. We're talking about relational, contextual things. We're talking about those things we pick up along the way in life that I might need to learn a little bit more about. Learning to use that little phrase, you know, just help me, help me. Fourth principle is that someone listening to an opposing view and acknowledging there might be a kernel of truth in that isn't compromise. It's not compromise. Now, we can compromise from doing that. But to listen to someone that maybe has got a totally different take on things and say, you know, I, I see some truth in what you're saying. That's not compromising. That's being teachable. Again, not talking about theology, not talking about our sense of who God is and what God has done for us, not talking about salvation by grace through faith, not talking about the deity of Christ, the inerrancy of God's word. We're talking about the little things that we face in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our church on a day-to-day -day basis. And to be able to listen to someone who's coming from a really different place and say, you know, I still don't agree with you, but I get what you're saying. And there's a kernel of truth in that. And I need to take that kernel of truth and, and ask the Lord what he would have me do with that. It might be 1%, but it's a truth that I need to listen to. Fifth characteristic is that we can learn, we can grow, we can change our mind on disputable matters without a fear of being labeled or branded. I got news for you. I came here at 31. Already told you today I'm 63. My 31-year-old self and my 63-year-old self, I hope are not the same. I hope you're not, I hope I'm not the same person with seeing everything in life the same way at 63 that I saw it at 31. I hope that I am not condemned to live in the stupidity and pompousness of my 31-year-old self for the rest of my life because I'm never allowed to change my mind. I'm not allowed to begin to see things differently. Some of you remember when, when, when Ronnie got baptized here as the senior pastor because his understanding of some things relative to baptism had changed. And he grew and he, and he understood. We change our understanding. We grow, we learn, we continue to study. But sometimes we're afraid to say, I'm changing a little bit on that because it's instantly perceived as compromise. But you know, if it's based on God's word and it's based on his truth, it's not. And we don't want to treat those things the same way. Sixth characteristic is that, uh, that empathy is not viewed as infidelity. That for us to have an empathetic heart towards someone, maybe even someone we absolutely cannot come to terms with, but to have an empathy toward them, to actually love them like Jesus did, that that's not infidelity to the faith. It's to become more compassionate. We always see someone different when we know their whole story, don't we? We know the whole story. We tend to always see somebody different. And to begin to say, you know, that person's not my enemy. They may be doing something or about something that I think is horrendous. But that person is not my enemy. Because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, is it? 
It's against the spiritual forces. It's against the principalities. And maybe that person that we label as evil, maybe in reality they're desperate. And they're lost. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. And they don't know right from wrong in that sense. Maybe the person we label as angry, maybe they're terrified. Maybe they're scared to death because of something going on in their life. You know, I had an experience. I got this line written in my notes here, and I got question marks all around it. And the reason is because I didn't know until right now whether I was going to tell the story or not. But I'm going to tell it. It's been a good 31-year run. Yeah. <laughs> I was standing on Poplar Avenue um, in front of the Choices Building holding a sign that said, Pray to End Abortion. I am as pro-life as they come. But as I was standing there, I, I really, this, is, this was a really weird God experience for me. And I, sometimes I, I'm, I've thought about it a lot since, and I'm wondering, well, maybe that was an angel uh, that God sent to teach me something. I don't know. But this car turned, and it came along in front of us, and there was a young woman in the car. She might have been early 20s, something like that. And she turned, and she came, and as she drove by, I mean, we made serious eye contact. Serious eye contact. And it wasn't, she, did, she wasn't looking mean. She was, there was no hostility in her look, nothing like that. And, um, but she, uh, she just looked me right in the eye. And after that experience, I found myself thinking, here I am. I'm a 61-year-old at that time Man. I don't understand where her heart is, and I need to. I need to understand how this feels to her. See, she has a lot at stake in that. I didn't have much at stake in that. That's why I'm glad we got, we got people like Cindy Granger and Christy Kuhn. So they're, not, they're not just working toward a cause. They're, they're working to touch people's lives and to show the love of Christ to them and to, to know them and understand them. And it just made me say, and again, it didn't, didn't, didn't pull me, make me one more ounce, you know, agreeable to the pro-choice movement. But it made me stop and say, I don't understand how this feels to her. And I make up stories about people when I see them in my head. You know, maybe some of y'all do it. You see them. And I thought, you know, here's a gal beginning life, taking all, you know, Things are going well, and all of a sudden she finds out she's pregnant. How does that mean, what does that mean to her? Well, it doesn't mean she should kill her baby. But it does mean she's feeling something I have never felt, and I will never feel. And there are people that need to come around her who can understand and who can empathize with her and love her well and not see her as the enemy. That was a transformational moment for me. Standing there on the side of the road. And God's saying, this is not as simple to some as you think that it is. Didn't change my view on the issue at all. But it changed my view of that woman. I don't know what her story was. She might have been looking at me and like, dude, that dude needs a hat on his 
a lot of sun out here and he's bald, you know. I don't know what she was saying, but that's what I heard. And that's what God did through that little encounter on that street on that day and said, it is time for you to listen, to listen. Listen. 